Hey Seacoast, we're glad you're here this weekend. Now, I want to take just a minute and welcome those of you who are joining us uh, at an offsite campus or maybe on the internet. We're glad that you're along too. Special weekend, we're in a series uh, that we're calling Legacy. And uh, this week, uh, we wanted to talk about our legacy as a church a little bit. As many of you know, uh, one of our primary values is to plant churches. We believe that every community needs great life-giving churches. And uh, so we created the ARC, as you know, and through the ARC, the Association of Related Churches, we've planted up to this Sunday 774 churches uh, in the last 18 years. And some of those have been staff members that actually were a part of us. They're a part of our legacy. We call them sons of the house. And so what we did this weekend is we've invited uh, several of them to come back. Not all of them. Some of them had other things going on, and so they couldn't come. But we've got three uh, of our sons of the house this weekend that are going to be speaking at the different services. And uh, the, the first one is Sean Wood. Uh, Sean was on staff for a number of years, and just a few years ago, he left to go to Monk's Corner, and he started Freedom Church, and God has blessed it. Uh, it's just incredible. In fact, this Easter, they had over 3,000 people uh, at Freedom Church, and that's pretty incredible. Uh, Sean and, and the team there are doing a great job, and uh, we asked Sean to come and speak to us this weekend on Legacy Weekend, Sons of the House. So would you give Sean a great big Seacoast welcome this weekend? Hello. Thank you, guys. It's great to be home. Connie and I feel like it is home every time we come back to Seacoast, and it's great to see uh, you again. Some of you don't remember me, and I'll just tell you that I'm the best son of the house. Like, I'm the... In case you didn't know, in case you were just wondering. But, and let me tell you a little bit about what's happening at Freedom Church um, just down the road. Um, last weekend, we had 1,920 people uh, at church, which was an incredible, amazing Sunday. But even more amazing than that, what God is doing is that we baptized 55 people last weekend, giving us a total of 610 baptisms in six years at Freedom Church which has just been incredible, been incredible. In fact, one of those baptisms was Chris. I've got a picture here of Chris just coming out of the water, getting baptized. Just a few years ago, uh, Chris was an atheist, didn't believe in God, um, had no interest in God, and his wife and he found Freedom Church, and he's been growing. Amazing things are happening in his life, and it's just incredible to watch all that God is doing in people's lives at Freedom Church. And so it is a part of your legacy. It's a part of your legacy that you've sown into ARC and have believed in ARC and allowed uh, Pastor Greg to run with the vision that he ran with uh, for ARC 18 years ago. It was a part of the vision when he blessed us to step out of Seacoast almost seven years ago now, put his blessing and his favor on us, and you guys were behind that, and uh, you gave to us to start through the ark, but also as a church. And so you are a part of every single one of those 610 baptisms. You are a part of every single one of the 1,920 people we saw last weekend and the 3,223 people that we saw at Easter and the lives and the marriages that are being changed and the people that are watching or we are getting to watch what God is doing in their lives. And so thank you on behalf of Freedom Church. It's our honor to be here tonight just to be able to say, 
Thank you for all that you guys have done. And we're actually in a series right now at Freedom Church called Colors of Hope. It's actually based on my brand new book that just came out, which is called Colors of Hope as well. Now, the the book is about the seven miracles of Jesus in the New Testament, um, but we're looking at a principle that is in the book um, that is throughout Scripture as well when you look at a miracle. So the seven miracles of Jesus are in the book, but the principle that's in the book is that God is a God of miracles. Do you guys believe that, that God is a God of miracles? Do you guys believe that he could be a miracle for your life? There's a miracle that you have for your life, and he is a God of miracles. In fact, as we've been going through the series at Freedom Church, I've even changed it to say that God is still a God of miracles, because oftentimes, I know that we believe he did it in the Old Testament. I know that we believe he did it again in the New Testament, but I don't know that you and I are quite expectant enough of what he can do in our lives. And so uh, the, the book, uh, I really would uh, love it if you'd pick it up. They'll be available afterwards, and uh, you can do that. And um, in fact, it's really cool. Um, a portion of every single book goes to feed kids. It's really cool. Th- their name is Isabel Hayes, Sam, and Naya. They're my kids. And um, so, so it really, really does, it's helpful. So you guys, that's a, I'm sorry, Pastor Greg, that's a terrible joke, but it's like yours, you taught me well. So uh, <laughs> book numbers, are, we're in this series, Principle is God is a God of miracles. So I hope you're expectant. I hope you're ready to believe God for that. We're gonna look at a story in 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter two, and we're gonna look at a story about Elisha and uh, just kind of explore what we can learn. I believe there's principles and there's pathways in every single miracle that's in scripture to, can walk you to the miracle that God has for you in your life. And I know that you're praying for something. You have something right now that's keeping you up at night and you need a miracle to come. You have a health issue that maybe is in your own life or maybe it's in someone else's life and you need a miracle to come. You have, you have something that has t- totally been too heavy on your shoulders to carry alone. It may be something small. It may be something life-threatening to you. And I know that you need a miracle. I hope that you'll come expecting God to show you a pathway to the miracle that he has for you. Second Kings chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 19 through 22 eventually with some background as well. It says, one day the leaders of the town of Jericho visited Elisha. Elisha. Now, you may not know that there is also a prophet in the book of 1 Kings, and he kind of hands off a little bit at the end of 1 Kings and the end of 2 Kings, named Elijah. Everybody say, Jah. There is Elijah. There's also an Elisha. There's Elisha. And I have to be honest. Now, I'm just, I'm just being real. I was a Christ follower for like three or four years probably before I knew there was any difference between the two guys. Now, how many of you, how many of you are honest enough just to say, I, I just thought some people said Elisha, some people said Elijah, thought they just pronounced it wrong. Honestly, I don't even know that I knew there was a first and second Kings, if I'm just being really real with you. But there's an Elisha and there is an Elijah. And Elijah is the one who the Bible says resembles a Wookiee. That's what the Bible says, if you don't, you don't believe me. Second Kings, first one through eight. He was a hairy man, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. Um, tell me where I'm wrong. That's Elijah, little known picture of Elijah that um, we didn't know we had. And now there's this mention now, though, 
of this guy named Elisha, Elisha. And, and if you're like me, you, you kind of want to know a little bit more about these guys. But Elijah, we, we don't know very much about him. He just sort of comes onto the scene. We don't get a lot of background information. But, but one day when I had noticed that there was a Jah and a Shah, I started reading and I figured out that these are kind of like the OG WWE tag team prophets. Did you guys ever watch WWE if you were like me when you were middle school, high school? Come on, you, you watched a little tag team wrestling. They are the tag team prophets. Elijah does miracles, does amazing things, and then he tags Elisha, who comes onto the scene. But we do know a little bit more about Elisha than we know about Elijah. And I think it's one of the pathways to get to the miracle that God does in Elisha's life in the passage that we're going to read and all of the miracles that he does. We find it in this peace that we find out about him before he comes on the scene, kind of the background that we get for him. Now, Elijah, when we find Elisha in this story, Elijah has already, he's gone up to heaven. Like, like he didn't even die. Like, he just went up to heaven. Hashtag life goals. Wouldn't that be awesome just to have God take you up to heaven? Didn't have to die. Didn't have to get sick. None of that, none of that going on. But now, Elisha is brought right onto the scene, and he is green he is brand new, he's brand new to this whole prophet thing, but he is freshly trained because he has been prepared. And see, I think when you think about your miracle that oftentimes you believe that there's no way that you're ready for God to be able to use you in the way that he might want to for your miracle to happen. In fact, you might be praying for a miracle in someone else's life, but you think there's no way God could ever use me in that. He's gonna use someone else, someone that has been ready, someone that is more ready than I am for sure. But what we learned here is that, that though you may not think you're ready, that what God has purposed you for... So if God has a purpose for you, what he's purposed you for, he has already prepared you for as well. Like he's been working in your life already to get you ready for the miracle that he wants to do in your life, just like he had been for Elisha. You may feel like you're too young to, to be able to accomplish what God wants to do in the dreams and the visions that you have in your life. You may feel like that you haven't been following Jesus long enough. And there's some of you that have been using that excuse for a long time. Like, I just don't feel like I've been following him long enough. I don't feel like I know enough. I don't feel like I know the Bible enough. I don't feel like I can do that to be used to have a miracle in my life or in somebody else's life. But Elisha teaches us through this, through his, when he comes into ministry, when he comes in to do the miracles, he teaches us that God is already. And if God is already, then you can be already. In fact, turn to your neighbor on your right and just tell him, I'm already. I'm already. Turn, turn to your other neighbor and tell them, I'm already. I'm already. Just, just tell them, I'm already. Because if God is already, you are already. Because if God has purposed you for something, then he has prepared you for something too. Let me show you what I mean. Where Elisha came from. We got to look back. We would flip back just a couple of pages to 1 Kings 1919 is where we find Elijah leaning over to give the tag team to Elisha to say, all right, come in. It's your turn. Elijah, I mean, First Kings rather, 1919, it says, so Elijah went out and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing. Everybody say real loud because this is what we do at Freedom Church, plowing. Just say it real loud. Plowing. Try one more time. Plowing. Plowing. He's out plowing. See, plowing is a great indicator of your future harvest. 
If you don't plow, you will not harvest. And so if you're not plowing now, you're, you're not gonna harvest later. If you're not doing the work now to get you to a place where God can use you for a miracle later, then you won't be ready to plant the seed in. That you won't be ready to see what could grow up in your life. He's out there plowing. Plowing. I think about people who have been plowing for a long time, even at this church, like Colin Davis, Mr. D as they call him, been serving in children's ministry for over 20 years, plowing ground, serving, plowing, breaking up hard ground in kids' lives and moms and dads' lives, serving faithfully year after year after year. Mr. D, he's, Mr. D is faithful. He's been here, he was here when I was here, he was here before I was here. He's been serving, building a legacy in this church, plowing hard ground every single week. I think about Connie McDaniels, who is a faithful servant behind the scenes, comes and gets communion ready for, for people to come and take and gets all the elements ready, make sure that the candles are ready to go so that when you come and you know when you've been there and you lit that candle that was the beginning of a fire burning inside of you, that was beginning of of a miracle that was going to happen, that somebody had come before you and they had plowed the ground so that your miracle could be ready. See, you come into a church and you sit in a chair that someone put in place for you. You sit in a chair that someone paid for for you. You, you, you listen to worship that someone practiced for and prepared for because they were plowing. And if we're not willing to plow, we won't be able to harvest. It's a great indicator of our harvest. It's like Dan over at the West Campus, who Pastor Chris Russo said is killing it, is killing it in their parking ministry. How many of you here, I'm at the Long Point Campus, have ever dealt with the ministry of parking in a, in a way that you were on the other side of it, like you couldn't find a parking spot? You ever dealt with that? Like you couldn't get out to get to your mows in time like you wanted to, like, like you've dealt with that. And so how important is it that someone sat down and said, what's a plan that'll get these people out of the parking lot before they lose all the religion they got while they were in the place? We, we, don't, we don't want them cussing before they even leave the place. Somebody plowed, and Dan plows, to make sure that something can happen. So Elijah went, and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing. He's plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. If there's any leaders in the house, this is just a quick leadership principle. He's out there working with his team. He's not leading from somewhere where he's just barking out orders. He's not leading from some perch where he's going, all right, you do that, you go do that. He's in the grind with his team. You want a miracle to work in your family? Get in the grind with your family. You want a miracle to work in your cubicle? Get in the grind with your office mate. Tell him, I'm ready to work with you. I'm ready to pray with you. I'm ready to seek after God with you. I'm really willing to plow with you. And he's there. And Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. I love this moment in scripture because we just read past that. But that is the Old Testament equivalent of the mic drop. That's what that was. Like he just walks over, takes his cloak, puts it on Elisha, walks off. Like you gotta be, you gotta be cool to do that. You can't just throw, because you're wearing a cloak. You gotta be cool to wear a cloak anyway because if you wear a cloak and you're not cool, Bad news. So you gotta be cool anyway. And then all of a sudden, he just walks over there and does that. But I'm looking at this scene, and I'm knowing that at some point, God had prompted Elijah to go and find Elisha so that he could train him, mentor him, prepare him for the miracle that he wanted for him. 
I wonder when Elijah got that nudging from God, whether this is what he had imagined. Because he's walking up on the scene, and you know he had to be going, God, so where's my prophet? He's going to be preaching, right? Because that's what prophets do. They preach. And so where, where's my prophet at? I don't, see any, I don't see anybody preaching. God, where's my prophet? God, God where's my prophet? All I see is a bunch of people plowing. God, that can't, that can't be my prophet. Surely, surely my prophet's not over there plowing the dirt with oxen and these teams of oxen. And God says, no, 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 that's your guy right over there. And it just reminds me that sometimes the class does not look like your calling. See, you might be into something right now that you're serving in in this place, but it's not the miracle that God has for you yet. You, you may be going through some stuff in your marriage right now that you go, how is this preparing me to have a great, fruitful marriage? This, this feels like a, a lot of plowing is going on in my heart. This feels like a lot of stuff is being unearthed in me that I'm not ready for. This feels very difficult, very dirty, very messy to me. I thought I was gonna have a calling, a high calling on my life. And what God reminds us through Elisha is, is the class that you're in may not look like the calling that he has for you. Don't think that what you're going through necessarily means that's what you're going to be. In fact, we say you went through it because the fact of the matter is, is you got through it. And some of you have went through some stuff, but you haven't allowed yourself to see that you're on the other side of it now. You're not defined by it. You're not characterized by it. It's not who you are. It's what you went through so that God could prepare you to do the miracle through you that he wants to do. And I think some of you just need to claim that tonight. You need to stop wearing the mantle of divorced person. You need to stop wearing the mantle of the one who got hurt. You need to stop wearing the mantle of the one who God couldn't ever work through because you don't know the addiction that I had in my life. You need to see that you went through the class, but you made it through the class. You got through the training. You got through the preparation because God had a purpose for you. But preparation is so hard to see sometimes. It does not always look like it seems. When you're being prepared, it doesn't always look like what you prayed for. But when you're being prepared, it doesn't always feel like what you ask God in the deep parts of your soul for. In fact, you, you might even say, am I seeing things, God? Like, is this really what you want to take me through right now, God? Like, is this, really, is this really how I'm gonna build a legacy right now, God, to go through this counseling with my spouse? where we've said some things to one another that were so hard, it's plowing. Plowing plows hard dirt, plows hard things in our lives. And so you go through some stuff. In fact, now, what Elisha or Elijah, they, they didn't expect this. Can I tell you that what you plow may not look like what the future holds for you? It may be a season of preparation. In fact, preparation often looks like offense. Do you know that some of you, some of you say, I'm, I'm just offended that they would say that. I've gone through this every time. I'm offended. I'm learning through this offense. God, why would you take me into this relationship where I'm offended? I'm always offended. And you'd say, how am I learning anything? Because I'm always offended. Preparation oftentimes looks like offense because it's God preparing you to be able to handle the things that are coming at you without being offended. Because have you noticed this? I only had to take the classes again in school that I failed. Did you guys ever find that? If you're like, I'm always getting offended. Everybody offends me. I, I can't do anything without getting offended. Maybe it's you. 
Maybe it's not them. Maybe God's trying to teach you not to be so easily offended. Maybe your time of preparation is, as he goes, if I put the weight on you of what I want you to carry, if I put on you the blessing that I want to bring towards you, if I used you in the way that I wanted to, to see the miracle come out in you that I want to, you couldn't carry the weight because you would get offended in the first five minutes. You couldn't walk through the rest of it. And he's trying to get you somewhere by teaching you not to be so offended. Every pain is a preparation. Every, every, pain, every pain we go through is a time of preparation. Every time we go through pain, it is allowing us to plow through the hard stuff. It's painful. If you've been around life very long, you know that life is a series of painful events that we get to learn from. The question is, is are you learning from them? Because you've got to plow through the hard stuff in order to get down to the holy stuff. Like you gotta plow through some stuff that got put on you when you were young. You gotta plow through some stuff that pain brought into your life. And it may be pain that is the surgical procedure that allows you to find the purpose that God has for your life. So don't discount the pain you're going through right now. See, it was difficult for Elijah, Elisha to get out there and plow. It was difficult, and God didn't bring the pain. I saw this when I was reading this story. Think about Elisha. The difficult part of his life is he's having to plow through this very difficult soil. He's having to plow just to make the ground where it can receive the seed that can grow what he wants to grow. And I remember back, and I said, wait a minute, that's not the way it was supposed to be. God didn't make that ground hard. God didn't bring that pain into Elisha's life. Sin did. In the original story in Genesis, where sin brought the process of having to grow that way, and he said it will be hard to work the ground. Sin brought it in, but God used it as a time of preparation for Elisha. I wonder what you're going through right now that God is using as a time of preparation for you. I wonder what you might see as a pain that you just wish you could get through and God is saying, no, I'm taking you through it, allowing you to go through it so that I can prepare you for what I have for you. What if, what if we could see the plow as a part of your process? See, we're all in a process. What if we could see that? We have to be faithful in small things, even small pain and small offense. If you can't handle the small pain, and the small offense, how will you handle the rest? And God says, if we'll do that, we'll get the opportunity to be able to see the miracle in our lives that he wants to. Why would God allow you to pick the harvest if you're not even willing to push the plow? Like, why, would, why would you get a great marriage if you're not even willing to get through some of the junk you got on you when you were in college that you need to get rid of first? Why would God allow you to go out and find the man of your dreams when you haven't become the woman of your dreams yet? Why would God do it? He's saying, plow some, work some. Just get ready for what I have to come to you. I, I, I love this analogy that I saw is that before Elisha was able to participate in the miracle, he had to plow the manure. Have you guys ever gone through some manure in life? We could say that another way, but we won't. Have you, have you ever been through some stuff? You've, you've had some stuff come on you through somebody else. You've had, some, you've had some stuff that you brought into your own life. That's what a lot of it is. But Elisha had to get through all of that before he could get to the miracle. And then it says, Elisha left the oxen standing there. He ran after Elijah. 
and said to him, first, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. And Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what you have done. He says, really, I want you to think about it. Don't just, don't just jump into the miracle. Don't think, I, you gotta think about it. And so Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. That's his living. That's what he did for a living. He takes them and he roasts them. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate it. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. So much, so much there. So much there. Oxen were his living. The plow was his living. He burns the plow to make the fire. He destroys it, moves on in obedience without looking back. That, that's another principle that we can't even explore. But that's just the way Elisha rolls. You will see he is a man of work ethic and a man of commitment as you read about his life. And then that finds us, though, back where we were. So we're back to our story now. We went and got some backstory. Now we're back to the original story, how Elisha got to this point. So remember, they came one day, the leaders of the town of Jericho visited Elisha. We have a problem, my Lord, they told him. Don't you love that when your kids come to you and they say, Mom, Dad, we have a problem. And you're like, no, you have a problem. I wasn't involved in anything that just happened in your room. Oh, don't you love when they, if somebody at work comes, you, they didn't do their job, they didn't send out the email they were supposed to send out, so now nobody knows about the meeting that they're supposed to be at, and they come to you and say, we have a problem. No, 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 we don't have a problem. They come to Elisha and they say, we have a problem. But what we have to see is that Elisha saw something that we don't often see. Elisha saw something that I oftentimes miss, is that we will have the opportunity to enter into someone else's miracle if we are willing to enter into someone else's mess. See, see many times we look at the mess of someone else's life and we go, this is, I'm not getting involved in that. I'm not getting involved in all that drama. I'm not getting involved. In, that's your problem, right? That's your problem. But Elisha sees that, that he was so willing to be involved in a miracle that he was willing to be involved in someone else's miracle. In fact, your prayer life will tell you a lot about your level of selfishness when it comes to your miracle. How much do you pray that God would use you to see a miracle happen in someone else's life? How, many, how often do you pray that God would use you to meet someone else's needs? Or are you always praying for, like I do often, the miracle that I need? Do you find yourself not praying, God, would you put me in the circumstance to be used rather than, God, would you just bring blessings and favor and miracle on me? But see, if you represent Christ to people, if, if they know they're a Christ follower, if you represent Christ and they, they, they go to Seacoast, they invite me every now and then. I know that if you represent them, they will eventually come to you with their problems. And they will say, hey, here's the problem that we have. Now, what's the problem that God is going to use you to help someone else by being the solution to it? We have a problem, they say. Elisha could have said, no, we don't have a problem. You go work it out. But he enters into their world because he knew he had a responsibility to do that. And can I tell you that you have a responsibility to enter into other people's world, to enter into their mess, to get involved with what's going on? See, see when people ask you as a Christ follower to pray for them, that's what they're really asking you for, is to enter into their world. Hey, this guy says he has an answer to my problem. She says that, that she knows the God who can fix my problem. And so just a simple, would you pray for me? is an opportunity for you to enter into their world to one, yes, pray for them, but two, to also be able to say, you know what, can I dig a little deeper? Can I plow some and see what's going on in your life? It's when someone comes to you and they have a need 
and you think, gosh, it's complaining again. Are they ever gonna stop complaining about their needs? Are they ever gonna stop complaining about how they can't make it as a single mom? Are they ever gonna stop complaining about how they always run out of money? Can they just get some help? And we don't sometimes see the fact that we have the ability to enter into their mess and go, wait a minute, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to be the miracle that you need. And so instead of seeing it as a complaint, seeing it as a call and a cry for help that we have the answer to, and that we can be the miracle in their life. Or how about this one? This is a little bit tougher. How about when people hurt you? I don't mean you were easily offended. I don't, I don't mean you were walking around waiting to be offended. Some of you are like that, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something that really hurt you. Some, something that really came against you. Something that changed your life. You know what we have the opportunity to do? Is to forgive them. To offer grace. What if the greatest miracle you could ever offer to anyone is simply to give them the grace that they don't deserve? What if that's the miracle they needed today when they walked into the, your office and they thought, there's no way they're gonna forgive me for dropping the ball here. What, what if they, there's no way they'll forgive me for what I said to them. There's no way they'll forgive me for what I did to them. And you genuinely offered them forgiveness and grace and they don't deserve it. Like I know some of you are sitting there going, but they don't deserve it. Like how can I forgive them, but they don't deserve it. How can I give them grace? They don't deserve it. Aren't you glad that God didn't have that standard when he forgave you and me? Aren't you glad that he didn't go, I'll wait till they deserve it. I'll wait till they want me to go and to forgive them. I'll wait until they're willing to say that they're sorry. No, God said, I forgive. Even while you were still a sinner, God said, I would forgive you. The greatest miracle you might could be in someone's life is to forgive them, to forgive them. So what is their problem though? So this town, they say, is located in pleasant surroundings, as you can see. Sounds like an HOA brochure. But the water is bad, and the land is unproductive. See, see what you see is not always what it is. What you see about your calling is not always the class that you're going through. What you see about your life is not always where God has taken you. Even what you see about yourself is not always what God sees about you. And what they see is located in pleasant surroundings. You can see that, he says. But the water is bad, and the land is unproductive. Because what I see it sometimes isn't really what I get. And isn't it like that in our lives? I mean, we put on a face that says everything is great. Everything is wonderful. Pleasant surroundings. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing wonderful. I'm doing the best, better than I deserve. And on the inside, you're dying just a little bit. On the inside, you are so angry at someone that you can't even hardly worship. On the inside, you have been hurt by someone so much that you can't even hardly breathe. Your soul can't even breathe. On the inside, you're dealing with so much secret sin in your life that you're at any moment knowing that it's going to get exposed. And on the inside, you're dying on the inside. And that's what's happening right here. The water is bad. And the land is unproductive. There were families in Jericho who were hurting and they're in need of hope. It's like the husband who shows up here every weekend and has pretended for years that 
his wife's words don't hurt him. And he's fine, because he's a man and he's gotta be. But on the inside, he's dying inside. On the, he looks great on the outside, everything's good, but he's dying on the inside. The land is unproductive and a miracle is needed. It's like the child, the teenager, who says, I think my mom and dad just want me to look good. They don't care what I really do. They just don't want me to get caught doing anything that would embarrass them. They don't care if I really learn anything. They just want me to have good grades so that I won't embarrass them. And they don't feel like anyone notices them for real. They don't feel like anyone really knows who they are on the inside. And slowly but surely, they're dying on the inside because the land is unproductive. And it's in need in a miracle, of a miracle. It's like the mom who walks through life with a plastered smile on your face. But the abuse at home is real. And right now, you're even looking straight forward so that he won't notice that you would give anybody a sign. But you're dying just a little bit on the inside every day. The land is unproductive, and it's in need of a miracle. The surroundings seem pleasant, but there's something going on. They say, Elisha, we have a problem. We have a problem. And Elisha said this. He said, bring me a new bowl, a new one with salt in it. And so they brought it to him. See, sometimes in our lives, we're going to have to change some behaviors in our life in order to get something new to happen. The, the, the definition of ins insanity is to keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And for some of you, you've been acting in the way that you, as a husband for the same way over and over again for years and going, she just doesn't seem to think I love her. She just doesn't seem to respond to me. She just doesn't even, she says our marriage isn't good. I feel like it's great. And you just need to wake up and know you need to go get a new bowl. You need to get a bowl that says, I'm going to try something new in my life. There's some of you here, you've been having the same financial plan your whole life, which is check the balance make sure there's something there and then go buy what I want. That's your financial plan and it has not worked and you go through the classes and you go through things and you go, but you don't ever change anything and you don't understand why nothing happens for you financially and why God never blesses you with more and what the scripture says here is you need to get a new bowl, a new way of thinking, a new way to do things, a new strategy in your life. For some of you at work, you go, I'm just not going anywhere. I'm not, I'm not advancing. I'm getting turned down for every promotion that's ever there. You need to get a new bowl, a new way of looking at things, some training, some skills. And Elisha gets a new bowl. He says, I need a new bowl because I can't have the bowl that's already touched what's wrong with my life. I got to have something new to start over. Some of you need a new fresh start in your life where you just wake up and go, you know what, God, I know you still want to use me. I know you're not done with me yet. I know that you want to do something in my life. I know that you are ready. So I'm bringing something new to you, a new attitude because my attitude stinks. I'm going to bring you a new way of doing things because that hasn't worked out for me. I'm going to bring you a new, everything in my life is going to change because I'm bringing something new to you. Some of you need new friends because you got friends who want you to do stupid things and you do stupid things with them and you need to stop doing stupid things and the only way you go do that is to get new friends who don't do stupid things. And so you need some new friends. You say, that seems kind of cruel. I think you need some new ones. You know who they are. You just thought of a name in your mind. If a name popped into your mind that quickly, write it down, put it on the cross, give it up to Jesus. If it's your husband or wife, actually get some counseling first. Don't do that. And say you need a new wife. I said you need new friends. You need new expectations on yourself. You're expecting too much of yourself. You carry weight that nobody could carry. 
God says, that's why I want to give you something fresh. I want to give you something new. What if your miracle is waiting to be activated, but your attitude isn't ready to be able to carry it yet? I believe that's what God is doing here. And the presence of God was always there. The salt represents newness, freshness, preserving. It represents the presence of God, the Spirit of God. He says, give me a new bowl and maybe put some salt in it. The presence of God was always there. Elisha is just putting it in a new vehicle to bring it. So then he went back to the spring that supplied the town with water, and he threw salt into it. And he said, this is what the Lord says. I have purified this water. It will no longer cause death or infertility. So this water had been causing death and stillborn death, and it had been causing infertility among the women. And the water has remained pure, it says, ever since, just as Elisha said. And here's what I noticed about this miracle. And I think it's a pathway for you. I think if you grab a hold of this principle, it is a principle and a pathway for you. You gotta get some new things in your life. But then there's something even more important that Elisha does. He went to the source. You notice he didn't do, he didn't go to the women and go, well, let's, let's check, let's get a medical person, let's check these women out and see what's going on. Why are they giving, having being infertile? Why are they giving birth to stillborn babies? It must be the women, it must be their fault. He didn't go and take a, a bark sampling and go, why are these trees not giving fruit. He didn't go and dig around in the soil and go, why, why is this soil not producing anything? And see, for far too long, many of you have been pointing at someone else and going, it's their fault why the miracle is not coming. It's her fault. Our marriage would be great if she would just do her part. It's, her, it's their fault. I could have gotten that advancement at work if I didn't have such a jerk for a boss. And you point the fingers. It's, it's his fault. I would have been a better, we would have been better parents if he'd have been a better dad. He just wasn't round for them. It's, it's, it's his fault if he'd have been a better dad to me. I'd know how to be a dad. And you've been pointing at all the symptoms going, God, I need to get rid of this anger issue. God, I need to get rid of this attitude. God, I need to get rid of all of the exterior things. And you're constantly behavioral modification, changing all kind of things around you on the outside. But you never did like Elisha and said, let me get to the source. Let me get down deep. Let me dig hard, beneath the hard soil, plow down and find out what God really has for me. See, the miracle is in the source, not in the symptom. God wants to go down deep into your soul where you've never talked about before. You never talked about that abuse before. You never allowed him to know about that sin before. You never got in a room and really had honest conversations about what was really going on. It's not just about the fight. It's not just that she's always late to things. It's, it's not that. It's much deeper. And you've got to get to the source so that the miracle can come. And in, your, in the source is where God gives you the strength. If you just stay up on the shallow part, you're not ready for it yet. But he says, you get down deep. You dig down deep. The miracle is there. And let me ask you, what's the source for you? Have you dealt with it? Have you asked God to really work in it? Not just your anger, but I'm talking about what causes your anger. Not, not just your sense of disappointment. I'm talking about the real hurt 
below. I'm not talking about just the fact that you keep yourself away from everybody because you don't really, aren't close to people. You don't let anybody really know who you are. I'm talking about the person who hurt you to make you like that. When are you going to get to the source and let Elisha, let God rather like Elisha work on it? Are you allowing God to get to the source? Would you pray with me? God, I pray that we would come before you expecting a miracle. That God, our plow, the way we work, would show that we know that, God, we, can, we, we know you're going to do something. We're expecting you're going to do something. We're serious about what you're going to do. And so, God, right now, would you allow us during our response time to have something unearthed in us? God, would you work in some deep soil places of our heart, the offense, the forgiveness, the bitterness, the hurt, the pain, the reason we can't walk the way we want to walk, God. God, would you in this moment, would you come and minister to us in the source? In Jesus' name, amen.